0: Okay, so it's my privilege to preach this morning, and uh, it'll be someone else next week. So it's the last time I'll preach for a couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward just to sharing a little bit more around the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. So if you would have have your Bibles, you can please turn to Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to share a couple of thoughts out of this wonderful passage. We're going to read quite a chunky time, Uh, chunky time, chunky Verse number of verses. We're going to read the first 20 verses together. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, um, if it's different from yours. So here we go in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked, it, and it yielded no grain. And still other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they might see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, unless they turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So is the word. And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, and they endure just for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution comes or arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Those are they who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold." So a very well-known parable that Jesus um, is using here. You probably know it very well. Uh, I just want to connect what I said last week with what I'm going to say this week. Remember last week I started to talk in general about parables and uh, why Jesus chose to teach using parables. And I said a number of things. First of all, I said that he was just simply trying to get people's attention Uh, In speaking in this way, uh, because he was preaching outside of the synagogue, and so he was trying to get their attention. Secondly, they would have understood this method of teaching because the rabbis used this extensively. And uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament, there are many pictures that are used, parables that are used, uh, that were used by people to teach. And so they would have been familiar with with this method. Third, I said um, it was a way that Jesus could make abstract ideas, concrete. Often we think in pictures. And he's trying to make abstract ideas understandable to people. And lastly, I said that um, he, t- he used parables to help people to think for themselves. He wanted his disciples to think for themselves. And he wants us to engage with him in our minds and continue to press into all that he has for us. He wants us to think, and he doesn't take the responsibility away from us. He gives it to us and says, you think about this and come to your own conclusion. And so that's the invitation to us as the disciples disciples of Jesus even today. And I went on to say in the body of my message last week that the parables really speak about the kingdom that Jesus was pointing to through the way that he lived his life and how he spoke. And all of these parables are pointers or illustrations of what Jesus is actually trying to say through his life. And so I said the parables invite us to experience the kingdom by faith. And we looked at Jesus uh, using the word, why he uses the Greek word mysterion when he speaks about the the mystery of the gospel. And I tried to to help you understand that a little bit. And again, I want to encourage you uh, to listen to the podcast if you weren't here last week. But the key thing from my last message was just to highlight that Jesus said, if you understand this secret explained in the parable of the sower, then you begin to understand everything about how the kingdom works. And that's the most important thing. That's the most important lesson. He said that to his disciples, those close to him, I'm giving you the secret. If you understand this secret, it explains how the kingdom works in your life. And I said also that parables show the difference between the lost and the saved. Uh, to some that are being saved, it is life the, the gospel is life to those that are perishing in its death. And there was this amazing thing that happened as Jesus is teaching. Some people are amazed by the teaching and the miracles, but they still don't yet understand the heart of the message. And so some are being saved, that hear the message and received with joy, and still others, the message, message passes them by. And that's particularly something that is difficult for us as we learn to preach and sow the seed. People receive it in different ways. And that really points to the sovereignty of God in people's um, lives. And so I concluded that, it, as uncomfortable as it might be, we are forced to face this uh, truth in the parable of the sower or the message of the sower that the word of God doesn't seem to work equally in everybody's lives. Some get it, they get his message of saving power. Others don't. Some get it for a while, and then different things choke the message or take the message out of their heart, and it doesn't bear fruit. And that's an uncomfortable truth for us to confront, but we need to confront that. And still, in a compassionate way, continue to sow seeds and trust God that it's going to bear fruit in people's lives, and not bear the responsibility all the time that it's my fault if it doesn't produce fruit, because that's not what this parable says, We sow the seed, the Holy Spirit takes it, it's planted in people's hearts, and it begins to bear fruit according to God's sovereign work in that person's life. And the thing is, we can prepare our soil. We can prepare our hearts, and that's what I want to look at this morning, is how can we be effective in... um, We see in verse 14, it says that immediately the word is sown that the devil comes and tries immediately to rob it from us. And so this morning, you can have a look now on the, it should come up. Oh, there it is. Great job. We're buying a little thing that I can push every time I want to go to a new point, which actually will make it much simpler, then I don't have to keep turning around. But I want to look at this thing here this morning. Immediately, Satan tries to come and rob the Word. What does it mean? Why does does Jesus say this, and how can we combat that? How can we make sure that we are not allowing that to happen in our own hearts? And so I want to try and answer these questions this morning. But I want to start with this. There's a beautiful scripture in 1 John chapter 3 that says this John writing, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he, that is Christ, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And here, this most powerful, wonderful verse, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Isn't that wonderful? That's why Jesus came. He wants to destroy the work of the evil one in our own lives and in the world. And so, I, I don't want to give any unnecessary attention to the devil. I want to, I want to preach Jesus. I want to lift him up. I want you to understand who Jesus is and the, the spirits work in your life in a greater and greater measure. But I also believe that it's wise, it's wisdom to understand how the devil tries to come in common ways to rob and distract us from the Word so that it cannot produce fruit in our lives. That just seems to me to be wisdom. Because ultimately, Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, and so if we're not getting the Word into our hearts, it can't do the work that it was meant to do there, and we still are bound up by things that we shouldn't be bound up with. And so, the devil has ways that he uses and comes against us, and uh, we're going to look at some of those things today, how he tries to oppose the Word of God that is preached I know this, Satan hates the word. He doesn't want it to bear fruit in your life, and he'll do everything that he can to rob you from the word of God in your mind and in your heart so that you cannot believe, you cannot be saved, you cannot bear fruit, and you cannot be effective for the kingdom. That's what he wants for every one of us. And so I want to look at how we can counter that this morning. So I think there are a number of things at stake in the loss. Of the Word of God, if we don't really hear the Word of God in our hearts. And the first really is found in our tagline. Remember, in our tagline, rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. We are all called, you and I, we are called to bear fruit in our lives. God wants us to be fruitful. And so, here, the first thing that the devil wants to do in robbing the Word from us is so that it doesn't take root in our hearts, so that we cannot bear fruit for Jesus. And I think that what Paul is, um, uh, Jesus is talking about here is probably what call, Paul called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That's the fruit that God wants in our lives. He wants it in your life. He wants it in my life. He wants it to be evidenced all around us. And only the Word of God dwelling richly in our hearts, taking root in our hearts, can give rise to those spiritual blessings in our lives. And that's the great joy that we have in reading this parable together, is that ultimately it says there is a great harvest that comes. That's, that's the good part of it. At the end of all the stuff that Jesus says, He still says that for those that hear the Word, take it into their hearts. There's a great harvest, 600-fold harvest. And that's what we can look forward to. Um, Jesus prayed this in John 17, verse 17: seven, uh, Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So, the word of God here is, Jesus is saying, is is used by the Holy Spirit to sanctify his people, to make us more and more fruitful, to make us more kind, to make us more loving, more forgiving. That is what the fruit produces in hearts that are soft and open. So, what is at stake ultimately is our fruitfulness. If you like, I, I put it like this our Christ likeness. Our moral newness, that we are being renewed and becoming new people, that is undermined and destroyed if Satan can rob the Word. Even as I'm speaking this morning, he can try and rob it from your heart so that it doesn't produce that fruit in your own life. Secondly, the second thing that is at stake is the fact that we are called to become disciples. Um, Jesus uh, said in Luke 6.43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each each tree is known by its fruit. So I put it to you that a persistently fruitless life cannot be a life that is a disciple of Christ, and I say that as compassionately as I can. I read a very wonderful illustration of what I'm trying to say uh, this morning. I was reading a book by a guy called Mark Dever. Uh, He's a Baptist guy from America, and he was talking about what are marks of a healthy church. And he relates the story of Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher here in London in the late 1800s. And now the storm has hit. Kiara, you've come to bless us. Kiara, you've come to bless us with rain and wind. So hopefully we'll be secure in this building, all right? But um, Diva tells the story of uh, Spurgeon w- w- walking through London, and this guy who's kind of, he's a drunkard, he's lying on the side of the road, and he calls out to Spurgeon, and he says, Don't you recognize me? I've, I'm one of your converts. And Spurgeon turns around and he says this, You might be a convert of mine, but you are not a convert of Jesus. So he's making a profound point. He's making this point that you can put your hand up, you can say that you believe in Jesus, but what really counts, what really counts is a transformed life, is a life that is kind and loving and fruitful. And, uh, and it's a very powerful illustration of a very s- simple point. Fruit does not make a tree good. Fruit does not give life. Fruit is a sign of the life and an inner reality that is manifest on the outside. That's why Jesus says good and bad trees are known by their fruit. Bad fruit or no fruit mean that, means that there's no inner reality that is certain and sure. And so fruitfulness really and discipleship really are, ev- are evidences that go together. And since the word of God is the key to fruitfulness, it also means that be- the key to becoming a disciple of Jesus is at stake if we allow the Word to be robbed from our hearts. And that's why Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you continue in my Word, you are truly my disciple. And so we have to do all that we can to make sure that the Word of God is rooted in our hearts. Thirdly, what's at stake? So fruitfulness is at stake. Discipleship is at stake. Thirdly, our inheritance is at stake. And ultimately... Um, there's a terrible sort of progression here. If, we, if, the, if the word of God is robbed from our hearts, Jesus says at the end of that in John 15, he says, Every branch that bears no fruit is taken away. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth and as a branch, and it withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so there's a kind of inevitable consequence that Jesus is speaking about. He's saying, ultimately, if the Word is robbed from your heart, what is at stake is your inheritance here on earth and your inheritance in heaven. Without the Word of God taking root in your heart, you can't be saved. You can't bear fruit. You can't become a disciple. You can't inherit eternal life. You can't walk in the inheritance that God has for you here on earth and ultimately all the joy that we have to celebrate with Him one day in eternity. So it matters more than I could ever say to you this morning that the Word of God needs to take root in our hearts because ultimately these things are at stake. And so what's the devil's strategy then? Uh, and yes, uh, uh, you notice Jesus uses um, different kinds of soils. He says, first of all, that the, the seed is sown along the path. That's one kind of soil. Then he talks about the rocky ground uh, as well as another kind of soil. Um, and he talks about the thorny ground as another kind of soil. So there are three different kinds of soils that Jesus sp- speak- speaks about in this parable. And so the first thing that he says is it's rubbed immediately along the path as it's sown. And I want to suggest to you there are a number of things that rub the Word immediately in our lives. And here are some of them. You can probably think of some more. But the first is distraction. So the devil will do all that he can to keep people from giving serious attention to the Word of God in their lives. So this morning we have some distraction. The heater is not working. The lights weren't working when we came in, and it was frustrating, and I was running around trying to get the heat to working and the lights working. So it's a little bit cold this morning. Perhaps you stayed out until 3 o'clock in the morning, and now you're feeling a little bit distracted. You're feeling a little bit tired. You can't hear what I'm saying. Well, that's a distraction, isn't it? Um, Perhaps there there are many, many distractions. Um, Perhaps you're thinking right now about what lunch you're going to serve when you get home. (laughs) <laughs> about the roast in the oven. Uh, perhaps you're thinking about, oh, that post on Facebook. Uh, I really need to, you know, uh, you, you're kind of searching for your phone and holding yourself back because you're in, in church and you don't want to d- post on Facebook. And you're going to wait till after the service. Maybe you're really irritated with my accent this morning. Maybe you don't like that. Maybe you think that's really irritating. He speaks funny. And so what my point is that the devil will do whatever he can to try and stop the word entering one ear and just going out the other ear without residing in our heads, without getting from our heads to our hearts. And so if he can do that through all different kinds of distractions, ultimately he makes it ineffective. And so inattention and distraction and making us think about other things, ultimately that's what the devil loves to do. That's the first thing. He uses distraction. Secondly, he uses irritation or animosity against the Word of God. Um, These feelings might be against the preacher, against his language, against his style, or simply against the truth of the gospel. People hear it, they understand it, but at the same time they're resisting it. They're saying, that can't be true. How can that be true? And that's what our culture likes us to get us to do, isn't it? Resist the word of God. Say it can't be true. It's too simple. It's too easy. And then it's robbed from our hearts. And so... That's why Paul said the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. And so Satan, the devil, works to maintain our worldly kind of sense of values so that the value of, and the, of the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus are seen as nothing. They're seen as meaningless. And ultimately, if the devil can get us into that position, he's robbing the word from us. I've seen this in our culture that ultimately the devil gives people such a high estimation of themselves that the evangelical message of a need for a savior and a brokenness before the cross is disgusting and threatening and patronizing and so it's resisted don't preach that to me I'm a good person I've never harmed anyone don't tell me I need a savior that's what our culture does thirdly Satan uses complete ignorance. So the, the work can, his work can be so thorough in our lives that we actually, at the end, begin to even lose grasp of what's being said. And we can't even understand what is being said. Remember uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says this, Paul again speaking, he says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has so blinded their mind... To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the likeness of God. Paul is saying exactly that. He's saying sometimes it gets to the point where you can't even see the revelation of Christ anymore. You can't even tell the difference between good and evil anymore. And my friends, I want to say we are living in a culture that can't even tell the difference between good and evil anymore. You just think, numerous examples in our culture where evil is called good and good is called evil. Can't even tell the difference. Hard, so hard. When we're in that place, the Word of God truly has been robbed from us. So that's how He does it. He tries to do it immediately. He robs us by distraction, through animosity towards the Word, through irritation about the preacher or his style or whatever. And through ignorance, ultimately, that our minds become blind. We can't even see. And he doesn't give up, you see. And this is why we, we have to be wise. Because if he can't do that for you, he'll try and rob it eventually. He'll try and wear you down. All right? And how does he wear you down? Well, uh, Paul says, um, I keep saying, Paul, it's Jesus. Jesus says here, across uh, from the rocky ground of persecution, So if he can't rob it the first time, the first hearing, and we receive it with joy, he tries his best to take it away and bring us to a place of being unfruitful and and, and fruitless. So in verse 16, this describes it exactly. It says, These in like manner are the ones, when sown upon rocky ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, But they have no root in themselves and endure for a while. And then when tribulation, hard times, or persecution arises, they immediately fall away. And so, Paul, in other parts of the New Testament, often equates persecution with the work of the evil one. And so, for example, in Thessalonians, when he's writing to the churches there that were being persecuted, he says this, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer... I sent that I might know your faith for fear that somehow the tempter tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. It's clear that Paul said, saw persecution as a work of the evil one that could destroy the gospel and the work of the gospel in people's lives and that the word could be robbed from them. And so the devil never gives up. He's always trying to wear you down so that you will eventually not believe. The word of God in your life. And so he brings people to ruin by battering them continually with hard times, with difficulty, with sickness, so that they fall for the lie that it's not worth it to hold on to the Word of God. It's not worth the trouble that it brings. Brings, And if Satan can get you to that point, then he's robbed the Word from you, and it can bear no fruits. And this is the message of the gospel, that even in the hard times, even in the persecution, even in the tribulation, there's the loving arms of a sovereign God underneath your life, holding you up, supporting you, walking with you. And that one day you'll see that, that He's always been there for you, even in the darkest moments. He's always been there. That's the testimony of my life. I trust it's the testimony of your life, that it can become the testimony of your life, that underneath our lives are the everlasting arms of the Father. Amen. So he tries to rob it eventually. Or thirdly, he tries to rob it through prosperity. That's the other thing that Jesus says. If those first two things don't work, if he can't rob it immediately, if he can't grind you down through hard times and persecution, he'll try it with prosperity. He tries everything. The devil tries everything to get the word out of your heart, and that's exactly what Jesus says in verse eighteen. And still, others—he talks about—he uses the illustration here. Says this is the kind of thorny ground. When the seed is sown amongst thorns, they are the ones that hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceit of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, so that it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. And I've spoken about this many times before. Satan will try and rob the word from our hearts by making us feel that if we hold fast to the word, if we truly believe it, we are somehow going to give up on the, on the good things that life has to offer. They're not going to be ours. If we go for the kingdom, then all the good things that we want in our lives, we're not going to get them. So rather not go for the kingdom. Yeah? That's what he trusts. If you are a Christian, you know if you're too sold, if you're too sold out for Jesus, you're never going to have a good life. You you're never going to enjoy good things. We somehow have this view of God. But the great promise of the gospel is: seek first His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you anyway. (laughs) so you don't have to be anxious about your future. You don't have to be anxious about when you retire. Believe it or not, I'm thinking about retiring now. Not now, but I'm thinking about in 10 years I will be 65. Careful. (laughs) And that's normally when people start thinking about slowing down retiring. And the promise of God is, Don't be anxious about your future. My future's in your hands. Don't worry about what you're going to do when you retire, when you slow down. You're going to not slow down too much. You're going to go right into the grave, praising God. We don't have to be anxious about these things. The world gets us to be anxious about stuff we don't need to be anxious about. And I want to put it to you, as we've lived in the UK now for 20 years, that much, much of the Western world... The devil doesn't try and uh, use persecution. We, we have kind of persecution, but not like in other places in the world. But certainly, he uses the third thing I've spoken about this morning. He distracts people through prosperity. He really does. And we live in an incredibly affluent, wealthy, uh, privileged um, part of the world. And so, thousands of people that make a start with the Word of God, give into the lie, that uh, prosperity is ultimately what everything is about, and that the word chokes, th- is choked out of their hearts and lives. And so what wins most is the promise of more money, a yearly holiday to the Caribbean, or some other exotic place. That begins to win, and we come under the influence of this kind of thing in our lives that ultimately that's the most important thing. And I'm not against holidays. Please don't hear that. I'm just saying this attitude that... Actually, that is the most important. No, actually, the kingdom is most important. And along the way, God blesses and adds to us so that we don't go without anyway if we put his kingdom first. So how can we respond to combat these strategies then? I believe these things are absolutely true. Well, there's some keys that we learned in James. For those of you that have not been in the church very long, we did a study of James many years ago. And I remember this verse very well. James 4:7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we can do some stuff. We can resist him, and we need to learn how to resist him. Also 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be watchful. Your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. So we can resist. We need to learn how to resist. And so... I'm going to just offer you three little things this morning of how we can learn to resist the devil so he can't snatch the word from us immediately. We're not going to talk about persecution. We're not going to talk about prosperity. I'm just talking about the first thing. How can we resist the word being robbed right now as I'm preaching? Here we go. Very simple. One, prepare the soil of your own heart. Prepare the soil of your heart. You see, it says in verse 20 that good soil is the key for fruitfulness in your life. And so that's, the picture is your heart, my heart. We prepare our hearts. That's the key. If we get our hearts right, then there can be much fruit that is born in our lives. So can I suggest some practical things? These are not rules. These are just encouragements to you. Give some time before you get to church to prepare your heart late on a Saturday night or early on a Sunday morning, prepare your heart for hearing the Word of God. It's just a simple thing. Jesus, what do you want to say to me today in this meeting? How do you want to speak to me through the worship? What are you trying to say to me for my own life right now that's going to help me to be more productive for you? You see, I found this. The more that we humble ourselves and the more that I humble my own heart and try to purify my own motives through peer, to prayer, the more I hear God for my own life. Isn't that true? The more powerfully He speaks to me when my heart is settled and in a quiet place, then He really begins to encourage me. If I'm always distracted and thinking about many hundred things, He never can speak to me. We have a very um, simple rule in our family, and I trust you will never be offended if this happens to you. Whenever someone invites us for a meal, I say to them, I just want you to know I will come to you Saturday night, but we will leave at 10 o'clock. It's not because your food is not great. It's not because we don't love your company. I love being with people. I love food. Those of you who know me, you know I love food. You can see I love food, right? But 10 o'clock on a Saturday, we leave. Why? Because I want to be fresh for Sunday morning. I don't want to be so out of it that I can't even keep my eyes open in the pulpit and it's completely boring for you. That would not do you any good, would it? And so the same for you. Do yourself, if you want to have the Word of God produce something in your life, be prepared so you arrive on a Sunday thoughtful, settled in your spirit, heart open, saying, God, speak to me. That's the first thing. Don't play into the hands of the devil by staying up so late that you can't even get out of bed in the morning, all (laughs) right? You have to drag yourself out. Oh, God, this is so hard. And I found this, that sometimes when I'm having a really, really good time on a Saturday night, the little devil will come to me in, in, my, in my head and say, you know, it's, you're really having such a great time now. It's not going to be that bad in the morning. You will manage. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And so... Can I encourage you? Don't, and, and I, I really want to encourage you with this. Because right now, there's all like fear about the coronavirus, isn't there? So what's going to set the agenda of our own hearts when we get up in the morning? It's the first thing we're going to do on a Sunday morning to read the news, the internet, and read all about the stuff. You know, some Thai guy went around yesterday and shot 20 people in a shopping center. Is that going to be the first thing that our hearts and minds are thinking about on a Sunday morning when we wake up? Or are we going to choose to say, no, I'm not starting like that this morning. I've got my cup of coffee. Jesus, I'm going to settle my heart this morning so you can speak to me when I go to be with my friends at church. I want to hear from you. Not from the internet, not from Facebook, not from the news, but from you. What's going to set the agenda in your heart? What's going to set the agenda in my heart, And so I want to encourage you, we can really set some good habits as a church community together. If we as a community, as a family of friends, really do learn to conscientiously prepare our hearts for hearing God's word, the Lord will speak to all of us with such power that we will see amazing change. We will see amazing fruit in our lives for God's glory and for our own joy. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So can I encourage you? I'm trying my best. Can I implore you, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning, resolved to take some time before you even come to any Christian meeting to meditate a little bit, to be thoughtful, to quieten yourself, to take a walk in the park if that's what you love to do, so that the soil of your heart is prepared and plowed and opened so the seed can go in and God can speak. That's one strategy. Prepare the soil of your own heart. Secondly, listen (laughs) with all your might. Listen with all of your might to the Word of God. Remember, I, I, I love worship, and one of the reasons that I love worship and I've tried to encourage our musicians to choose songs that are appropriate theologically is because when you sing, you begin to understand in your heart in a deeper way about who God is. Would you agree with me? That's why Christians have always sung great hymns, great songs of theology and who God is. Because when you sing it, something happens in your heart. And I love that song we sing often. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. Why? Because these are eternal truths that when they resonate in song in our hearts, something happens. And you get encouraged and refreshed. And when we sang this morning some of those amazing songs the guys chose, I was so encouraged just to sing truth, sing about who God is, and it helps to focus our attention, and it focuses our hearts, and we can open our minds and begin to listen a little bit more attentively to what God is trying to say. And so that's why the devil is going to try and rob that from you, so that you don't listen attentively. So focus on what the, worship, what the musicians have I've chosen to sing. I don't ever tell them what to sing. I'm, my prayer every week is God, if Jack is leading or if Zach is leading or if Clive is leading, please speak to them or whoever's leading so that the Holy Spirit is coordinating what's happening in the meeting. That you're speaking to the musicians just as you're speaking to me. And what I preach fits in with what the musicians are bringing. And then everyone knows it's not clever people. Everyone knows it's the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, encouraging us, refreshing us so that we can be built up in Christ. And together we hear the mind of Christ. Amen. You have much to do in helping this church to function as it should. And when you are not hearing the the, the mind of Christ for your own life, we all lose out. Yes. It's all of us together, a community of believers hearing the heart of God so that together we see the kingdom come. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) You are looking very cold. Stuart, give that man a hug. Warm him up. (laughs) Thank you. So listen to the worship songs. Listen to the prayers that are prayed during the meeting and before the meeting. What about the prophetic encouragements that sometimes come when someone sometimes brings a a word and says, I feel like God is saying this. Are you listening? Do all that you can to listen. God is directing everything by the power of His Spirit. When we break bread together, what is He saying to you? How how does He want you to encourage someone else today? You know, I found this. Over many years of being in church, sometimes I really just desperately want some encouragement, and so I'm, I'm hoping someone's going to encourage me. You know what's even more powerful is when you go and you've encouraged someone, what happens on the inside of you, when you encourage someone else? Yeah, oh, you just feel that was so wonderful to give something away, and you are encouraged. Isn't that true? So encourage someone today. Just tell them they're beautiful or they're handsome or they've got a nice jacket or whatever it is. Encourage them. Say something nice. There's no cost in that to say something wonderful that is going to encourage someone else. And so I want to encourage what I'm trying to say to you this morning is let's go hard after God. Let's not not like us, you know, when we welcome those people in. Let's have raucous, raucous celebration. Not just... And I don't think this is, this is not South African culture. This is kingdom culture. In heaven, there is raucous worship right now with angels celebrating, singing, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, endlessly in loud voices with trumpets. You go and read Revelation, that's what it says. There is something of a heavenly celebration that we need to begin to live out here on earth. That's why Christians have always sung powerfully because we've got something to sing about. We've got a great king to sing about. We've got a great uh, love to enjoy in God and in each other. And I am c- concluding now. Jesus says, Hear has ears to hear. Let him hear. Do all you can. Strive. Do your very best. Unblock your ears. Prepare your heart so that you can hear what God is saying to you. And lastly, Welcome and receive the word of God. Verse twenty: Those who are sown to the soil and the ones who hear the word and accept it and it bears fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. So set your mind to be open to the word of God, even if it's new, even if it's demanding, even if you don't understand it fully. And I'm not saying listen uncritically. For those of you that know me, you know that's true. I'm not saying we must mindlessly acquiesce to everything that we hear from the pulpit. I don't hold to that. You must always check out what the preacher is saying. That is what the Word of God says. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about when when the Word is plain, when it's simple, when it's speaking of Jesus and the gospel, that you welcome it into your life and let it bear fruit. Have a receptive attitude, not a resistant one. Love the Word of God. Be like a miner. What do miners do? They search out gold. They search out treasure. They search out diamonds. And they make it theirs. That's how it is to be with the Word of God. Make it yours. Search it out like treasure. It's a precious, precious thing. We all have our favorite places in the world. And um, I, I have many favorite places. But one of the places that I do love driving through is the French countryside. I love it. Why? Because you just see rich farmland everywhere. You see plowed fields, you see vineyards, you see, don't see any thorns, you, you see largely land that is well cultivated and fruitful, and you see vines and lavender and olive trees and fruit and vegetables. It's a wonderful picture for us, isn't it? That's how it can be for the, with the soil of our own hearts. Let your heart be well plowed, let it be soft, prepared, softened by the Reign of the Holy Spirit. Let your heart be so that you can receive the power-packed seeds of the Word of God in your life, that it produces fruit. Row after year, row, year after year, season after season, 30-fold, 100-fold. That's the promise of God. And it's a beautiful picture for our church. I want to conclude for, with that. If we give ourselves to preparing our heart, we will overflow with fruit. And that for me is this great triumph of this parable. It's the great joy of this parable that although part of the seed is sown and never grows, at the end of the day, there's still a great harvest. Do you notice that? At the end of the day, when all is said and done, the kingdom still has a great harvest for you and for me. So let us encourage each other And let that end despair in our own lives. There's fruitfulness for you and there's fruitfulness for me if we will just open our hearts and our minds and let the Word of God get in to good soil. Let's be patient. We can do our work. We sow the seeds. We can hear the Word through hearts that are soft. And ultimately, we leave it to God and He produces the harvest in our lives. Amen. God bless you. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this amazing church. Uh, thank you for every family, every man and woman and child, uh, those that are here today, those that are not here today. Thank you for what you're doing amongst us. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be those that treasure your words, that mind for your words. Help us to have hearts that are open and soft, that every time we hear someone pray, we're listening for your voice. Every time we sing a song, we're listening for your voice. Every time we hear the word preached, we are listening for your voice. Help us, Jesus. Lord, our, our country needs a move of your spirit. Help us to be those that are helping to bring that move of your spirit as we live fruitful lives for you. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would not be introverted as we do this. I just pray, Lord, that we would, in an honest way, reflect on our own hearts and what really vies for our attention, our time, and that we will give our attention and our time to the right things so that we can be fruitful for you. pray this in all in the precious name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.